Today's show is sponsored by Sinansker State Bank, proudly serving the community and surrounding area for over 125 years. Try to understand what these guys did as kids, as 18-year-old kids, 19-year-old kids, went out there, picked up a weapon, and went charging in because it was that important for America. Sometimes it's hard for people to understand why anybody would do that. What makes a hero? I remember a professor of mine in college asking that question, and he was trying to get the class to think about the ways in which TV and the media portray athletes and actors and celebrities and such. I guess the point he was trying to make was, does a hero ever become a hero if the media doesn't make them one? It's true that society tends to idolize and exemplify when someone, you know, scores the game-winning touchdown, and our movies and books are full of heroes and villains, so I suppose the professor was right to a certain degree. But then a student raised their hand and asked, what about people that serve in the military? Aren't they heroes too? The professor replied with the same logic he'd given before. Are soldiers really heroes, or do we just think they are because of all the ribbons and parades and flag-waving and so on? I don't believe he was trying to disparage the military in any way. He was just trying to get us to think about how media and society can influence the way we see the world around us. I remember leaving that class thinking about all of our patriotic slogans and symbols and the national anthem, you know, and kind of just wondering what it all really meant. And then one day I came across a paragraph in a book about the First World War, and it really kind of put everything into perspective for me. It stuck in my mind because I had one of those moments where you get that lump in your throat and your heart just sinks and you, you try to imagine yourself in this person's shoes and wonder what it must have been like to have to face such extreme situations. The quote is from author and historian Peter Hart's book called The Great War and was actually a letter written by a British captain to his wife the day before the infamous 1916 Battle of the Somme takes place. The First World War was really the first time that the major militaries of the world had faced each other, equipped with machine guns and modern artillery. By 1916, the second year of the conflict, both sides had pretty much learned the hard way that the days of cavalry charges on horseback were over. No longer could armies march in straight lines or bowling pin formations across an open field because the machine guns just didn't care. So naturally, the soldiers went the only direction they could to escape the bullets and bombs. They dug into the ground and made trenches. Once this happened, the basic strategy for battles during this part of the war became this. Shoot a bunch of artillery at the enemy's trench, then while they're disoriented, have your troops charge out of their trenches, run across no man's land, and try to capture the enemy's trench. The idea is simple, but it's hard to gain a lot of ground that way, so many of the battles in the First World War were fought in the same exact places through the entire four-year conflict. You had barbed wire that was strung up everywhere to keep the enemy from advancing, so that was all over the place. Constant artillery barrages had turned trees into, like, burnt-up matchsticks sticking out of the ground. Open fields became cratered moonscapes, and, you know, you had the chunks of dead bodies just laying, floating in the sludge that sat there and rotted year after year after year. So when your commander gave the signal to charge, you weren't running across a grassy field, you had to run through that. Now, this letter I mentioned was from a British soldier who was writing home to his wife the day before he has to take part in one of these offensives. And I try to imagine what is going through his mind as he writes this letter. This battle he's about to take part in, the British will suffer 57,000 casualties in the first day. 
For reference, the United States lost about the same number of soldiers during the entire Vietnam War. This battle will last four months, and by the time it's over, it'll claim around a million casualties. The war had seen battle after battle after battle with just mind-numbing losses like this, and here the soldier is about to participate in one himself. From Peter Hart's book, here's what Captain Charles May writes to his wife, quote, I must not allow myself to dwell on the personal. There is no room for it here. Also, it is demoralizing. But I do not want to die. Not that I mind for myself. If it be that I am to go, I am ready. But the thought that I may never see you or our darling baby again turns my bowels to water. I cannot think of it, even with the semblance of equanimity. My one consolation is the happiness that has been ours. Also, my conscience is clear that I have always tried to make life a joy to you. I know that at least if I go, you will not want, and that is something. But it is the thought that we may be cut off from one another which is so terrible, and that our babe may grow up without my knowing her and without her knowing me. It is difficult to face. And I know your life without me would be a dull blank, yet you must never let it become wholly so for to you will be left the greatest charge in all the world, the upbringing of our baby. God bless that child. She is the hope of life to me. My darling, au revoir. It may be well that you will only have to read these lines as ones of passing interest. On the other hand, they may well be my last message to you. If they are, know that all your life I have loved you and baby with all my heart and soul, and that you two sweet things were just all the world to me. I pray to God I may do my duty, for I know, whatever that may entail, you would not have it otherwise. Peter Hart continues, quote, Charles May, the loving husband of Bessie May, and father to his baby Pauline, would indeed be killed the next day. He is buried in the Danzig Alley British Cemetery. Small-scale tragedies litter the history of war. Sad reminders that the necessities of war ruin the lives of millions." End quote. Anyone that has enlisted in the service can probably imagine, to one degree or another, what Charles was feeling when he wrote that letter. And every spouse or family member or friend knows what it's like to wait for those letters, too. It breaks your heart to read something like that, but that's what a soldier is willing to give up when they choose to serve their country. And not every soldier finds himself in Charles's situation, but when I think about what makes a hero, to me it doesn't matter so much what you do, it's what you're willing to do, what you're willing to sacrifice. And I have a hard time thinking something could be more heroic than that. Mitchell County has sort of a proud tradition when it comes to the military. There seems to be an abundance of just incredible stories from Medal of Honor winners to ace fighter pilots and so on. Memorial Day is about remembering those lost in the line of duty, and while it's nice to honor their memories with a prayer or a ceremony, it's just as important to preserve the stories they had to tell, because only then can we fully understand what their sacrifices meant to us. I sat down with St. Ansgar's Legion Commander Chris Crambule and John Coster of the Sons of the American Legion Group, and we talked about some of their efforts to preserve these unique stories of some of our local veterans before they're lost forever. We got a rich history when it comes to military. Uh, so these guys, we got guys all over this our, our little community. And a lot of these stories don't come out until after they're dead. So you don't even get the full story, you know. I, I always use John Patterson for the people that knew him. Um, his story, which we didn't know, he told me little bits and pieces. 
when we'd be up at the Legion, but for the most part, we didn't know it. And then when he died, his uh, uniform was on display at the church, and he had six hash marks on his left sleeve, which is uh, every hash mark is six months in combat. So he did, he basically did a straight 36 months in combat. He always told me, he said, the best part of being short, and he was, but the best part of being short is he didn't have to very, dig a very deep hole, and I dug a f hole every night for three years to sleep in. And he walked across Italy, he walked half, halfway across Europe, and this doing. And he's part of the 34th Infantry Red Bulls. It was a unit based in the, like a reserve unit out of the Midwest. And I don't know numbers exactly, but somewhere around 27,000 men went through the 34th Infantry Red Bulls and uh, right around 7,000 came home. And they were all Midwest men. So that's one of them stories out there that we didn't know nothing about. You know, we got, of course, you know, Galen Kittleson, he, you know, some of our standouts, that's, which is incredible to have a guy like Galen Kittleson with the Alamo Scouts, an individual like Arthur Beyer, a Medal of Honor winner, uh, a fighter ace, and then somebody like from the 34th Infantry. And then you've got uh, DC Jorgensen. He was uh, um, a machine gunner. That was his job. And he lived through all of them. He was in Saipan, Iwo Jima. He was all over. That's why we started this project. Well, one was uh, DC Jorgensen at the funeral, hearing that story, and then find out the kids never even knew it till yeah. then. And one was my uncle. I read the action report on him shooting down two Messerschmitts in the uh, his tail gunner on his first mission in B-17 and then getting the Distinguished Flying Cross for it. I'm like, oh, those are stories. You know, those things that you just own. That's a little guy. Those are two guys from St. Ansgar, mm -hmm. Iowa, that nobody knew what they did. So then we started uncovering. There's another one. Homer Hansen was a he flew B-51s in the Battle of the Bulge. Came back after World War II, went back to work at Hormel as a salesman. Then they started the Air Force. It was the Army Air Force where he was flying. Well, then they started the Air Force. So they asked him to come back and fly for the Air Force. So he ended up being the first guy to fly 100 combat missions in Korea. And then he ended up flying over 300 total combat missions between World War II, Korea, and Vietnam in different jets and different planes. And then ended up retiring as a two-star major general in charge of an Air Force base out in Las Vegas. It's all stuff we don't. Nobody, nobody ever knew. Nobody ever knew the guy from St. Ansgar ended up being a two-star general right. in the Air Force. I mean, some some old people when you talk to them, they do. But yeah, yeah. If, if you bring it up to them, they're right away they say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, That's I remember great. that. Yeah, you know, and uh, the uh, we got a POW part of um, Merle Hobbs, yeah. part of Baton, started out on that, and he gets peeled away to do other things. And but yeah, he. Was, was he three years, two and a half years before he was liberated? It was over three years. It was, it was over in, three in years? The, in a, I got a story around here somewhere. Yeah, his, uh, he literally worked in bare feet building the railroad, um, the, the movie, The Bridge Over the River Kwai. That railroad that the bridge is about, that railroad is the railroad that Merle Hobbs got stuck having to build with, I mean, elephants and just slave labor. You know, John, and I think I don't know. It's been all of ten years ago when 
John and I kind of first, he, he threw this idea out about a hometown hero. And, and I said, God, you know, it would be nice instead of looking at a, uh, a mirror that says Miller High Life on it, why wouldn't we rather look at that and a, a picture of Arthur Byer and be able to take your phone and read the barcode and then get his story about how he got his Medal of Honor. But the idea is to have this wall filled with hometown heroes. And then we're going to put an 80 foot flagpole and a monument up in Triangle Park. 100 feet. We'll see, we'll see whatever we got to do to get above the trees and have it uh, so when you're coming in from town every direction, you can see that flag. Two portraits have been completed so far and hang on the wall at the Legion. Koster said the plan is to dedicate a new one each year, and there are enough heroes to keep the projects going for at least another decade. Koster said one of the best things about the project has been getting the high school involved, having some of the art students put together the videos and draw the portraits. He said the students working on the projects have really gotten interested in the stories of these veterans, and that's part of what these memorials are meant to do. Now, the goal is to get the word out to the public. And back in the day, the, the Legion wasn't... It, it, it was closed to the public. It was considered this is our place. Club. And I think that, I've always personally thought that that was their therapy. Yeah. They came in here and everybody that was in here did the same things they did. Yep. And they may talk about it and they may not have. Yeah, I still, I still hear the old guys sit there and talk about, I mean, you, they get together and they hear them talking about stuff, bases they were at yep. and things they did and airplanes they worked on or whatever. And Yep. But there was, they knew when they came in here, they all had the same thing. I think they needed part of, it. Part of the reason they've opened things up is there's just not going to be enough of them around right, anymore. No, no, we can't make any money. To do the physical work that they used to do. Oh, like Harold Cross is always one that you know, has an example. He he, uh, he loves it. He likes when he comes in and everybody's in here. He gets to talk to everybody. And and uh, it's kind of a thing that, that he coined. He goes, well, I, I picked up a weapon and charged into battle. And these are all the people I protected, so I'm going to want to be around and have a drink with them and talk to them. And 10, 12 years ago, we were rented out maybe, I want to say anywhere in the 15 times a year range where there would just be somebody over here for a baby shower or something like that. Last year, before all this kicked in, this pandemic stuff kicked in and shut us down, um, we were rented out 53 times. So once a week, we got somebody in here, so they'll get to see this stuff. And that just gets more and more people involved. It gets more and more people talking about it. Do you have to have a, a distinguished flying cross or, a, or somebody who dug a foxhole every night or somebody who was in combat for so many days straight or somebody who somebody survived uh, being was, a machine gunner? Was a machine gunner one of the most dangerous and survived through the whole war being a machine gunner? Is that, yeah. That's a hero, and he, he, but he never looked at himself as a hero. That's how we view and that's, that's somebody like, that did great Arthur, things. Arthur Beyer would never, and that's why we'll never do somebody who's alive. Because no. this is for people who are, they never wanted the accolades when they were alive. I mean, he went to the White House twice and was written up, and and Don McKinley had autograph seekers and and was written up in uh, because he was a fighter ace. There's a lot of a lot of people that follow fighter aces and you know want to get as many autographs as many stories as they can, but they never wanted that. Mm -hmm. they did, I mean, I was his paper boy, and I never even knew any. I mean, I knew he was in the you know, the Navy, and him and Dad would talk about being in the Navy, but I never knew he was a fighter ace or one of the distinguished flying cross or is credited with saving a ship in, a, in the battle. And, you know, 
mean, those are such cool stories that I didn't want to see disappear. Special thanks to St. Ansgar State Bank for sponsoring today's episode. If you haven't been to the Legion here in town to see the memorials, I encourage you to do so once things open up again. They really are great pieces of art and a real testament to the uh, heroes they represent. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Apple Podcasts to stay in the loop about future episodes. And thanks for listening. <laughs>